Hello, and welcome to this series where we are going to learn everything that we can about politics so that we can understand what's going on all around us and so that we can do something about what's going on all around us. Now, the first thing we need to understand if we want to understand politics is what is politics? Politics is anything to do with decision-making groups, whether it's you and your mom arguing about cleaning up your room, whether it's a pack of hyenas fighting over who gets the best piece of carcass meat, whether it's your boss giving you orders every day at work, or whether it's a pack of politicians deciding for millions of people who's gonna get health care and who's gonna have to pay for it. When I say anything to do with decision-making groups, I mean we want to think about things like who gets to make decisions, why do they get to make decisions, who has to follow the decisions, what happens if they don't follow the decisions, what's the system or process for making decisions or for choosing who gets to make decisions, and what we really want to look at in this series is how do people who don't get to make decisions still get to exert their influence or their will over the people who do get to make decisions? Because you can't just run into the halls of your government and say, hey government, here I am. I really care about healthcare. Where do I go to make the big decisions that affect my life? Well, where you go is you get dragged out the door by the police and tossed into the street because nobody wants you there. Our political systems today are not meant for us to participate in them directly, so we need to figure out other ways of exerting our influence. Now, it should go without saying that you care about politics because you are alive and you care about what happens to you. If you're not involved in making the big decisions that affect your life, whether it's at home, in the workplace, or on a national level, that means that someone else is making all of these big decisions for you in their own interest, and you're probably not going to like the results. Now, most of the time when people talk about politics, like if you're learning about it in school or in the media, they are just referring to the world of public politics, meaning anything to do with the state or the government, as opposed to the world of private politics, meaning every other kind of decision-making in groups, you and your friends, your workplace, your basketball team, whatever it is. But if we want to understand the world of public politics, first we want to take a good look at the world of private politics, because private politics is something that we all already understand on an intuitive level. We all have experience dealing with arguments with our friends, or dealing with family dynamics, or the hierarchy of the workplace. So what we're going to do in this episode is we are going to take a look at some everyday Dorcas Malorcas private politics situations that we're all familiar with, and we're going to analyze them and pull out all of the political concepts that we need to understand the world of public politics. So you're driving down the street in a car, and you are hungry. Me so hungry, me so hungry and you have a big decision to make. Do you want to go get Chinese food, or do you want to go get Indian food? Now, while this might seem like the most important decision of your life at the time, there's no politics in it. It's just a decision based on you and your personal preferences. So let's ratchet it up. You're in a car, rolling down the street, and you are so hungry. Me so hungry, me so hungry. But you're also really depressed. Me so depressed, me so depressed. So now you have a big decision to make. Are you going to go get some Chinese food or are you going to go drive off a cliff and die? Now this really is the most important decision of your life, but there's still no politics in it. It's just you deciding on your personal preferences. So this time you're driving down the street and you are hungry. 
Me so hungry, me so hungry. But you have four friends in the car with you, and you're all hungry. We so hungry, we so hungry. And you've got to figure out where you're going to go eat. You know what you want this time. You want Scottish food, McDonald's. But your friend Jermaine, he's Jewish and he only eats kosher, so he really wants to go to the kosher deli. And Tito just converted to Islam, so he really wants to go to the halal hut. Janet is a strict vegan, so she always just wants to go eat at the sawdust factory. And Latoya is on some crazy paleo diet, so she only eats beef, and she wants to go to the Cowabunga Meat House. Now, you have five people who have to make a decision, and you have only one car, and that car can only be in one place at one time. So that decision affects everyone in the car. Now, you have politics. So let's ask ourselves some political questions. First of all, who gets to make this decision? In other words, who's the government in this situation? And what kind of system or process are they going to use to make this decision? In other words, what's the political system? Is everyone in the car going to start beating on each other and they're going to pound it out until somebody emerges victorious and they're going to be the one who gets to decide? Is it going to be the most sexy person in the car who's going to charm everyone into doing what they want? Is everyone going to take a vote? Is it the driver who gets to decide? How would this play out in the real world if it was you and your friends? Now normally, or at least in my experience, when a bunch of friends get together to have a meal, what's going to happen is everyone proposes what they want, and there's going to be a discussion for a while until finally everyone can agree on something. In other words, the government, meaning the people who make the decisions and who enforce the decisions, is everyone in the car, and the political system is direct democracy by consensus. Now, whenever you have a decision involving a group of people, in other words, a political decision, the process for making that decision, whether it's everyone beating on each other or whether it's having a vote, is going to fall somewhere on a spectrum between full democracy and full autocracy. Democracy means that anyone who's affected by a decision gets to have a say in that decision, and a say in proportion to how much they're affected by the decision. And on the other side, autocracy just means dictatorship. It means that one person gets to decide no matter what everyone else's needs and wants are. Consensus is a type of democracy where you can't go forward with your decision until everyone involved agrees, as opposed to, for example, majority wins, which is what we often think of when we think about democracy. So now a new question pops up. We saw that in our Hungry Hungry Friends get-together that democracy emerged as the political system. So let's try to think about why that is. And to do that, we want to think about constraints, which are the limits on the choices that people can make. So in politics, when you have a situation where you have three particular constraints, which is number one, you require everybody's participation. So the whole point was to get together with these particular friends, so you require all of these particular friends to agree. And number two is you don't have access to violence or coercion to get people to participate because you're not going to kidnap your friends and drag them to a restaurant that they don't want to go to. And number three, you can't bribe or otherwise entice people with material rewards to cooperate, right? Because you're not going to bribe your friends to go to a restaurant that they don't want to go to. Those three constraints 
are a recipe for, they incentivize you, push you towards democracy. Because why would you participate in something if you don't get a say in it? You don't feel like it's fair. You don't feel any investment in it. And this is true in the world of private politics as it is for the world of public politics. And we're going to see that when we look at, in future episode, ancient Athens. When we ask ourselves, why was ancient Athens so democratic? Why did they have such a deep democracy compared to other states at the time? And we are also going to ask ourselves, how come not everybody got to participate in that democracy? Why were women excluded? Why were slaves excluded? And we're going to use constraints to help us understand that. We can also use constraints to help us predict what specific decisions people might take. So let's remember the dietary restrictions of our hungry, hungry friends. Tito only eats kosher, Jermaine only eats halal, Janet only eats vegan, and Latoya only eats beef. And you don't have a big restriction, but you prefer Scottish fast food McDonald's. Now, given these constraints, my guess is that everyone is going to end up at the kosher deli. Why? Because it's the only place where everyone can actually eat something. Kosher rules are pretty strict, and if you're super kosher, you can't really eat anywhere else. Halal rules are similar to kosher, but they're less strict. So anyone who is halal can eat at a kosher restaurant, no problem, but the reverse isn't true. Latoya only eats beef. Well, a deli is full of beef. You like fast food, a deli is fast food, so it's not a huge stretch. The only person who's going to have a problem with the deli is maybe Janet, because there's not a lot of vegan options at a kosher deli, but she can at least have some coleslaw and pickles. And my guess is she would just go along to get along this one time. So now you and your hungry friends are rolling down the street on the way to the kosher deli in your sweet democratic polity. What's a polity? A polity is just a political unit. It's what you get when you roll up who gets to make and enforce decisions, in other words, who's your government, who has to follow decisions, in other words, your subjects, where does the decision apply, in other words, your territory, and what's your political system. In the public sphere, states are polities, and every level of government is a polity. So our polity is our little car. It's everyone in the car who's the government, everyone in the car are the subjects, the territory is the car, and our political system is democracy. Or is it? How deep does this democracy go? What happens when a little emergency pops up and push comes to shove? So we're back to rolling down the street in our car with our hungry hungry friends on the way to the kosher deli. And all of a sudden, Latoya gets a text message. It's from her disgusting, loathsome, parasite, douchebag ex-boyfriend. Everybody hates this guy. They've watched Latoya humiliate herself and be jerked around by this idiot for two years. But, unfortunately, Latoya is still obsessed with him and will do anything to get back together with him. Text message says, Hey boo, meet me at the chicken shack in 20. So Latoya is flipping out. We gotta go to the chicken shack! We gotta go to the chicken shack! And no one else will have it. They don't want to enable Latoya to engage in this dysfunctional relationship. So now, we have an irreconcilable problem. No matter what, Latoya is going to the chicken shack. And no matter what, nobody else is going to the chicken shack. So, someone's gonna have to leave the car. Who's it gonna be? Well, that depends entirely on who the owner of the car is. 
because this whole democracy has been a sham. It's just been a temporary delegation of authority by the dictator of the car, because the real political system here is dictatorship, and dictatorship by the owner. So, if Latoya happens to be the dictator, the owner of the car, she can tell everyone else to get the hell out of the car. You happen to be driving, doesn't matter. Get out of the driver's seat. It's my car. I'm going to the chicken shack. And you're coming with me or you're getting out of the car. And if nobody gets out of the car, she can shove you out of the car. And if necessary, she can call the police to come rip you out of the car. And in some jurisdictions, she can pull out a gun and shoot everybody. Now, how did this wonderful, happy little democracy turn into a dictatorial Mad Max hellscape? Why? Because of the law, the state, and capitalism. Until now, we've just been dealing with what's been going on in our little theoretical bubble, our car with our hungry, hungry friends. But in politics, nothing ever happens in a bubble. No decision-making happens that isn't influenced by outside forces, in particular, other polities, whether they're private polities or public polities. So if our hungry, hungry friends wanted to blast down the street at 300 miles per hour to get to the kosher deli faster, they're going to have a couple of problems and they probably won't make that choice. Number one, the road is full of other private polities, other cars, and those people are choosing to drive at a normal speed. So they're going to get in our way and it'll be too dangerous to drive that fast. But even if we were in a rural area where there weren't many people on the road, we probably still won't make that choice because our little private polity is in a bigger polity, a municipality and a state. And those public polities have laws and they have police to enforce those laws. So if we blast down at 300 miles per hour, the police is gonna stop us and give us fines and arrest us and it's just not worth it to make that choice. So you're not gonna make that choice unless you're, you've been huffing goofy gas and drinking funky grape juice or unless there's some kind of emergency that makes the cost of dealing with the police worth it. Somebody's dying of a heart attack, you gotta get to the hospital. Somebody's about to give birth. Now in this case, the state isn't just influencing our decision about how fast we're gonna go. The state is imposing a whole political system on us, dictatorship, and it's choosing the government, Latoya, in advance. We didn't have some great battle where Latoya emerged victorious as the dictator of the car. And we didn't elect Latoya to be the dictator of the car, no. The state, in advance, decides that the owner of property is dictator over that property. And why is that? Because our legal system enforces the ideas of property rights, which are a central tenet of capitalism. Capitalism is a huge topic, and we're going to have at least one episode about it, full episode. But in brief, capitalism is an economic system, it's a political system, and it's an ideology. And what do all these things mean? Well, economics. Just like politics is anything to do with decision-making in groups, economics is anything to do with resources in groups. How are resources produced? How are they exchanged? How are they hoarded? How are they destroyed? How are they stolen? What incentives make us want to trade, exchange, hoard, produce, steal, or destroy resources? One of the big things about economics is rules for who controls resources, who has decision-making power over resources. And as soon as you're talking about decision-making power, you are talking about politics. 
So for example, we already saw the rule that the owner of a thing is the dictator of a thing. That's a rule in capitalism and that is a political rule. So any economic system is also going to be a political system because it has rules for deciding who gets to make decisions over resources. Ideology. What's an ideology? An ideology is a set of ideas about how things should be and it's based on an idea about how things are or how human nature is or how the universe works. An ideology can be really simple or it can be pretty detailed. So like a simple ideology is you gotta look out for number one because if you don't, then everyone is gonna just take what's yours and because everyone else is looking out for number one. So the way things should be in that ideology is you need to be selfish and look out for yourself uh, because if you're not, the way things already are in that ideology is that everyone else is selfish and they will take advantage of you if you are not being selfish as well. Democracy and dictatorship are ideologies. Democracy. Everyone should get an equal say in the big decisions that affect them. Why? Because every human fundamentally has some equal value and if we don't follow this rule then things will be unfair or dictatorship. There should be a strong, powerful force controlling everyone and imposing rules on everyone and punishing everyone if they don't obey those rules. Why? Because people are inherently savage beasts and if no one's controlling them, they're all gonna kill each other and make a big mess. The ideology of capitalism is basically a set of rules about resources and from that set of rules we get the economic system or the political system of capitalism. The first rule of capitalism is that anything in the universe can be divided up and owned as private property. So it can be objects, land, mountains, oceans, air, planets, anything you can think of. Ideas. Now the next rule of capitalism is that there are only a few legitimate ways of acquiring ownership of something. So first of all, a legitimate owner can give it to you or give it to you by inheritance or you can get it in an exchange with a legitimate owner, so buying, trading, selling. You can find something that's been abandoned. Also, the fruits of your property become your property. So literally, like if you have a tree and it has fruits, those fruits are yours. Or if you have a tree and you chop it up and turn it into chairs, well, those chairs become yours. And the other way of acquiring property in capitalism is called homesteading. Homesteading means you find something and then you mix it with your labor and it becomes yours. So for example, you find a forest or a plot of land and you build a fence around it and say, this is mine now. Or you till the soil or you build a house on it and it becomes yours. Another fundamental rule of capitalism, and this is the political component of capitalism, is that when you become the legitimate owner of property, you become the absolute dictator over that property. You can do whatever you want with it and no one else can touch it or use it or do anything to it without your permission. So if you somehow become the legitimate owner of the Sierra Mountains and you say no one else can touch or use the Sierra Mountains besides me, well then no one else can touch or go on or use the Sierra Mountains except for you. And if you want to destroy the Sierra Mountains because they're blocking your view or you just don't want them there, well, you can do that. The only limit to what you can do with your property in capitalism is that you can't infringe on anyone else's property. You can't harm, steal, hurt, or trespass on anyone else's property. And that includes their bodies because in capitalism you are the owner of your body. Your body is your private property. 
And the only exception to when you can cause harm to a person or to their property is when you are defending your own property. So if someone is trespassing on your property, you can use force to get them off your property, including murder if necessary. So now let's think about where capitalism falls on our political spectrum between democracy and autocracy, democracy and dictatorship. Capitalism is a dictatorship, but a dictatorship over property, over things, not over people. But what that creates is a situation where the more that people need your property, the more political power you're going to have over them. So for example, I'm the owner of an island, and you come visit my island. And I say, you know what, I'm the dictator of this island. I want you to call me Lord Master. I want you to do a little dance for me, and then I would like you to clean my room and cook me supper. Well, I can't physically force you to do any of those things. I can't pull out a gun in capitalism and say, if you don't dance, I'm going to shoot you. But what I can do is I can say, if you don't do the things that I want, you need to get off my island. And you can always just, if I'm annoying you and you don't like what I'm telling you to do, you can always leave my island. It's an opt-out dictatorship. So. Are you going to do the things that I'm asking? Well, that depends. How badly do you need to be on this island? Like if you came to this island by boat and then your boat sank, well, you are basically going to be my slave. I can't point a gun at you and say, clean my room and call me Lord Master, but I can say, clean my room and call me Lord Master, or I'm going to kick you off this island, which is almost exactly the same thing. You have zero bargaining power in this situation, and therefore you have zero rights. So we're going to be all the way almost on the dictatorship end of the spectrum to the point of slavery. The only thing that makes this a little bit better than slavery is that maybe if another boat comes to the island in a week or two, you can beg the owner of that boat to get you off the island. And they might help you, or they might not because they have all the bargaining power in this situation, so they might extract a heavy price from you. Now, if you came to this island by boat, and your boat didn't sink, and you have another island just an hour away, and it's no problem to go home, when I say, call me Lord Master and clean up my room, you're going to say, I'll see you later, and you're going to leave the island. But if I really, really need you to clean my room, I'm going to say, please, please, please clean my room. And then you'll be in a position to say, because you have something that I need. I need your services to clean my room. You are going to say, well, what are you going to give me? Uh, maybe pay me some money. Or maybe let me live on your island for a couple of weeks. Let me vacation here. So you can extract some rights out of me according to your bargaining power. And then the situation is going to be more democratic. But it's not democratic according to the democracy principle, according to everyone has decision-making power, according to how much they're affected by a decision. It's democratic according to the principle of how much, how many rights, how much decision-making power can I squeeze out of you according to my bargaining power. Now, in capitalism, in any situation involving private property, there are three basic ways of getting rights and getting decision-making power. Number one is to be the owner of that private property, in which case you have full decision-making power. Number two is if the owner of that private property gives you some decision-making power, either because they want to or you manage to squeeze it out of them via your bargaining power because you had something that they need or want. And number three is to be a co-owner with other owners, and then you have a say that's proportional to how much you own of that property. And you can see how these dynamics play out in the workplace. Most people work in a typical capitalist opt-out dictatorship. 
you have an owner who's the owner of the workplace and he or she tells the employees what to do and they don't have much of a say. But the owner isn't a slave master. He doesn't own the employees. So he has to give them something for them to stay there and do what he wants or needs them to do. And what he's going to give them is money, benefits, and some freedoms or rights. But the amount of money, freedoms, rights, and benefits that they're going to get is going to reflect their bargaining power. How bad does the owner need you? How easy is it to replace you? And how desperate are you? How easy is it for you to go and find another job or just leave this job? But there's also a democratic type of workplace that can exist under the rules of capitalism, and that's called a workers' cooperative. A workers' cooperative is a business where each worker owns an equal share of the workplace. And what happens in capitalism when you own an equal share of something? You get an equal say in that thing. So the way it plays out is that let's say you have a manager. Well, you can elect that manager. And if you don't like what that manager is doing, you and your colleagues can vote down that manager. And you can also be involved in decision making at all levels. Like in a regular opt-out dictatorship workplace, you don't have any say in what goes on in the company and what the policies are. But in a workers' cooperative, you can be involved in all of those decisions. You can be involved in deciding what you produce, what the salaries are, what the company policies are, what the rights are, what kind of vacation there's going to be in that company. Now, if you think about it, this rule in capitalism where the owner of a thing is the dictator of a thing, is that capitalism or is that just reality? Isn't that how everything works? No. There are all sorts of situations and cultures and different economic systems where different rules apply. For example, you and four other people are driving around in a car and you're all so hungry. We so hungry, we so hungry. Except this time you and your friends are in the desert in the country of Jordan and you are all Bedouins and you are deciding where do you want to go eat. Everyone in the car wants to go eat at McDonald's, hip, funky western food, except for Abu Jamain. He is 65 years old and he wants to go to the halal meat house. Everyone else in the car is in their 20s. You are the owner of the car. Where is the car going? you are most probably going to go where Abu Jamain wants to go. Because even though Jordan is a country that enforces capitalist property rights, you are going to obey the oldest person in the car, particularly if it's your oldest male relative. Because if you don't, and the word gets out that you disrespected an old person that way, especially your uncle, you are going to lose status. Your reputation is going to start to sink and people are not going to want to do business with you. People are not going to want to marry you. When you are in trouble, people are not going to want to help you in a pinch. So in this situation, it's not the owner of a thing who's the absolute dictator of a thing. It's the oldest male relative who's affected by a decision who gets to have the final say over that decision. And we can see here the enormous role that culture plays in shaping and affecting decision making and the rules of politics. And we have a lot of examples like this in Western capitalist societies as well. So there's a car and it has mom and dad and little Timmy and everybody's hungry. We so hungry, we so hungry. And they're on their way to get some food. But Timmy is the owner of the car. He's eight years old. Why is he the owner of the car? Because a couple of weeks ago, he was in the car with Grandpa, and they were having ice cream. And Timmy said, Grandpa, I love you so much. And when I grow up, I want to be just like you, and I want to have a car just like this one. And Grandpa was so touched that he went home, and he changed his will to make Timmy the inheritor of this car. 
And then the next day, Grandpa died of ice cream overdose, and then Timmy inherits the car. So today, we are going in Grandpa's car in Grandpa's honor to get ice cream. But first, we're going to go have lunch at a restaurant. Except Timmy is not having it. Me so hungry for ice cream. I want ice cream now. So, can little Timmy, who according to the rules of capitalism is the legitimate owner of this car and the dictator of this car, can he decide what to do with his own property? Can he insist that his parents take him to the ice cream store or else that they leave the car? And if his parents disagree, can he call in the police to enforce his capitalist property rights? Well, the answer is no. Why? Because he's eight years old. And because even in so-called capitalist countries, the legal systems in capitalist countries don't just apply or enforce the rules of capitalism. They are heavily influenced by the ideology of capitalism, but they're also influenced by all sorts of other competing and contradictory ideas and ideologies. The state is not even a legitimate entity according to the rules of capitalism that I was outlining earlier. Some capitalist countries are heavily influenced by the ideas of socialism. Other countries are heavily influenced by religion. All countries are usually heavily influenced by various lobby groups. And of course, every single country is going to be heavily influenced by culture. In our culture, we don't think that an eight-year-old should be able to decide what to do with their car. So the law says that an eight-year-old can own a car, but it's the parents who are the administrators. They get to make the decisions of what to do with that car until the child reaches a certain age, and that age will be different depending on what country you're in. Now, let's go over one more scenario so you can introduce a few more important topics and synthesize everything we've learned and wrap it up. You're alone in your room and you're staring at the disgusting color of your lime green walls. And you've had enough. It's time to paint your walls your favorite color, vomit green. So based on what we already know, is this decision just you and your personal preferences, or is there some political aspect to it? Well, that's going to depend on whether you're the owner of the apartment or the house, or whether you're a tenant. In other words, what's your class? If you're in the landlord class, then according to the rules of capitalism, you can do whatever you want to your property. But if you're in the tenant class, you're either going to have to get permission from your landlord or you're going to want to check to see what it says in your tenancy contract. So let's take a look at what class is and what contracts are and what they have to do with politics. A class is just a category that we lump people into for some purpose. So for example, in boxing, you have the featherweight class, flyweight class, middleweight class, heavyweight class. And the purpose for that is it makes for a more interesting fight if boxers are more evenly matched according to their weight. In politics, we divide people up according to their political power, their decision-making power. So in the army, you have the officer class who gives the orders, and then you have the enlisted class who takes the orders. In the workplace, you have the owner class who are the dictators over the capitalist workplace, and they often enlist a management class to manage the business for them, and they will give orders to the working class. Now the usefulness of class is that it helps us figure out what people's motivations are, it helps us determine or predict what kind of decisions they're going to make, and it helps us determine how they're going to be affected by certain situations. So for rental housing, landlords and tenants, 
the first thing we can easily do is figure out people's motivations according to their class. Now we can guess that most people in the landlord class probably want to rent out their properties for as much money as possible and they probably want to put in as little work or as little money into their units as possible. Meanwhile people in the tenant class we can figure out that most of them probably want to pay as little as possible for the best place possible according to whatever their criteria are. Now that we have these motivations, let's put our landlords and tenants in a situation where there's a high demand for apartments, lots of people looking, but there's a low supply of apartments, not enough apartments available for everybody who's looking. We can predict that that's going to harm tenants, but it's going to help landlords. Why? Because when landlords see that there's so many people banging on their door for every apartment for rent, they're going to realize, hmm, I can make more money for this apartment. So they're going to choose to raise their rents. And they're probably also, on the whole, going to choose to offer tenants less rights. Because rights for tenants are a pain in the ass and a cost for landlords. No, you can't paint your walls because I don't want to have to repaint them after you're gone. If there are damages in your apartment or things that need to be repaired, you repair them yourself. I don't want to have the headache and you have to pay for it. I'm only going to pay for major structural repairs. No, you can't use the garden. Yes, I want a big damage deposit. And I only take tenants now who make $60,000 a year or more and who have a very stable job because that will create a situation where the landlord will make the most money for the least work. Now on the other hand, tenants are going to have a hard time and they're going to be stuck with more unpleasant choices. They're going to have to choose to pay more of their monthly income on rent. Or if they can't do that, they're going to have to choose to take crappier apartments. Or they're going to choose to move further away. Or they're going to choose to move out of the city. Or they're going to choose to become homeless if they don't have any other good choice. Now what's going to end up in the final rental contract between the landlord and the tenant is going to reflect their relative bargaining power. The more bargaining power you have, the more rights you're going to have and the less obligations you're going to have. And the less bargaining power you have, the more obligations you're going to have and the less rights you're going to have. So the right to receive more rent and the obligation to pay more rent, the right to paint the walls, the right to use the garden, the obligation to pay a big deposit, the obligation to fix things. Now in this situation, what's interesting is that the amount of bargaining power that each party has was very much determined by the market. The market is just the collection of decisions that people will tend to make about buying, trading, selling resources in given conditions. So in conditions of high demand for apartments and low supply of apartments, landlords will tend to choose to charge more for those apartments and tenants will choose to pay more if they can. So the market affects your bargaining power, your bargaining power determines your political power, your ability to make decisions, your ability to make choices, and all of that is going to be reflected in your contract. A contract, which is just an agreement with an enforcement mechanism, is the legal system of the private politics world. The same way that you have a constitution and a set of laws, and they outline your rights and your obligations, well that is exactly what the contents of a contract does. And the same way that a contract reflects the balance of powers between the two parties, that is exactly what your legal system does. Your legal system is a reflection of the balance of powers between all the different actors in your society. Your landlords, your tenants, your owners, your workers, your minority groups, men, women, majority groups, religious groups, and of course all of these different lobby groups. The laws reflect how much bargaining power all of these groups have. So now we can start to answer the question that we asked at the beginning of the episode. 
How do people who don't have official decision-making authority over something, how do we get to influence those people who do have decision-making authority? The answer is bargaining power. Women started off in the early 1800s with very few rights, and then 100, 150 years later, they have a lot more rights. African Americans start off with no rights, and then they end up having all these rights. How does this happen? Well, there's a lot that goes into this, but so much of it has to do with bargaining power. Having bargaining power, knowing that you have bargaining power, and knowing how to use your bargaining power. And that is what we're going to explore in future episodes. But before we start throwing around our bargaining power, we want to first understand what's going on all around us, and understand what it is we want to achieve with our bargaining power. And that's why in the next episode we are going to explore what the political left and right mean, and why it's so important. So until then, get a paid subscription so that I can afford to take time off to keep doing this, and see ya.